preaching, but now we're going to preach for the rest of the world too. So it is May 27th. It is Sunday morning, 2012. Our message this morning is called Weakling. I want to give you a thought about Weakling. A definition that I found online. I actually cannot read the whole definition from Merriam-Webster because if you do, it sounds like there's bad words. Words that... In other words, Merriam-Webster has collected some vernacular from the people, and that vernacular is not appropriate in church, but the parts of it that I can read for weakling says, one that is weak in body, character, or mind. The parts that I can't read have to do with its synonyms, softy, or uh, I can't read any of the other synonyms that are there. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> My mom's mouthing at me. In my house, we grew up, my dad used to say the word pansy all the time. And he didn't mean the flower. He meant the flowery male. You know, that's, that's what he meant. Let me give you an antonym. That might help you. The opposite of a weakling is a powerhouse. That's according to Merriam-Webster, right? A powerhouse. When we say something like weakling, you might picture somebody like this boy. That, that might be what you think about. <laughs> it's not been photoshopped in any way. It's not Harry Potter. This might be what you think about. Some of you identify with this picture in all kind of ways. You might feel guilty that you picked on somebody. You might be the one that was picked on. And we think of this kind of image when we think of a weakling. We really should think of this image, though. What's that next one, Joy? That's a crowd. Represents all humanity. There's not a person on this earth that is strong in the Bible sense of the word strong in and of themselves. It's never happened. It never will happen. You show me any biblical character, anyone that, that did mighty and amazing things, and I will show you in the word demonstrated their weakness because we all came from the same disease stock, and it was weak. It was weak from the very beginning. A single command given. And a single command could not be kept. Just one. Praise God, Brother Curtis began to encourage us that we're a new species now. We're something born of the heavens and merged with the earth. No longer just weak. But we all start in one place. And unfortunately, you don't move from just weakness to strength. And now that you're a Christian, you become strong. In fact, we find out all over the word that men and women who love the Lord are suffering from chronic weakness. In Psalms 8, I'm going to read to you the fifth verse. It'll be a scripture that you're familiar with. So if you can get there, praise God. If not, I'm just going to move on until you catch up. It says, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. When the Bible speaks of man being made a little lower than the heavenly beings, this is a way of saying whether we're talking about physical stature, whether we're talking about uh, obedience, whatever area, whether we're spiritually, mentally, or physically, we're lower than what is represented in the heavens. Now, many of you are familiar with the verse in Hebrews that teaches us this was just for a little while. Because there is one that is taking us higher, just like the song that we sang. Somebody who is taking us above all of those things, but natu man's natural state is lower. As strong as somebody is, we, we might show you a picture of Charles Atlas in a little while. One of the world's strongest men to have ever lived. And yet, he couldn't master his own flesh. 
We can show you a great businessman, but he can't master his own appetites for business. We begin to learn that the way that the world measures strength is not the same way that God measures strength. Jesus himself in Matthew 26, 41 said, Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but what is weak, friends? The body, the flesh, it is weak. Who did he say this to? Men who had been with him three and a half years, who had seen and done miracles. They were there when demons were cast out. They prayed for people that recovered. And he looked at them and said, The spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. Paul summed it up in Corinthians 15, 42 this way. He said, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Put those words together. Something that is perishable, something that is in dishonor, something that is in weakness, something that is... Mere, base, natural. You know, there was this feeling when our country was founded. A group of deists that began to teach something called tabula rasa. It said that everybody enters the world a blank slate. Tabula rasa is Latin for blank slate. And it's simply their environment that determines what they're like. Anybody who's ever raised children knows that this is not true. Put two children in one room with three bowls of ice cream and they will fight over it, even though there's enough for everyone. When a child is two years old and you ask them, did you uh, make your diapers full? Uh-uh. You know, this is bound up in our nature. And it is an absolute, complete weakness. In fact, it's the weakness that caused the entire human race to become a slave. By the time we get to Deuteronomy 5, God sums it up this way in the 29th verse. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. He was acknowledging that in mankind there is a sinful tilt, what the Hebrews call an evil inclination. The way Paul said it in Romans 7 is when I want to do good, evil is always right there with me so that I, I don't do what I want to do. This is weakness in the highest order, friends. It's weakness that perverts our entire life. In Romans 8, he speaks of the very law that I just read about. And in the third verse, he said, For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. In other words, when given a perfect description of God, when given an absolute clear picture of what his holiness was like. And we're told, measure up to that. And in fact, all it ends up doing is showing how far we are from measuring up to it. It actually shows the depths of man's depravity as much as it shows the heights of God's righteousness. This has led many to hate the tape measure. It's led very many people to hate the ruler, to hate that thing by which you can measure how close or far you are to God. It's caused our preaching and teaching to despise the standard rather than despise the difference between us in the standard. The law was not weak, friends. The standard has never been weak. The standard is holy, righteous, and pure. What is unrighteous, impure? What is wrong is in our nature. That is the last thing we want to admit. How many people do you know in your life 
that you've never heard say the words, I was wrong. Much less a sincere, heartfelt, I'm sorry. Right? We like to ignore this aspect of our nature at all costs, and there is no group that is worse than that, than the charismatic world. We talk about God's blessings like petulant children that give me, give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. And we don't ever talk about the way in which we are handling what God has given us. This week, I was very encouraged. I just came off of preaching about power from God, right? How do you go from power to weakness? But that is our human nature, isn't it? Curtis helped me bridge the gap. He preached an amazing word about faith and deeds, about having no excuse. So I am left there knowing that God has given me power, knowing that I have no excuse, and yet sitting in miserable weakness. Nobody's ever experienced this. Come on now. Am I the only man in the room that has not accomplished what I wanted to accomplish this week? Am I the only one in the room that set out for something good and found himself in less than what he intended to hit? There we have it. Man is weaker than angels. Man is spiritually incapable of doing right. Even our thoughts are bad. Maybe this is why Paul said in Romans 8.1, Who will rescue me from this body of death? It was almost like He said, we're totally depraved except that you reach into us and do something about it. Come on, anybody in here experienced that? I experienced the beginning of the changing of my nature. It was not the completion of it. (laughs) He poured his spirit into me. That's not all there ever was to have. He began to touch and move my life and I began to be obedient, but that's not all there ever was. In fact, it's been a process ever since. And every time I get to a difficult place, Every time I have the choice between the hard road and the much easier, expedient, efficient, accepted road, I find weaknesses right there with me, more than willing to take the easy way out. It's by the grace and strength of the living God when we do make the right choice. Come on now, there ought to be a whole lot of amens to that. You're either amen into that or you're sitting in church lying, and that proves our point, doesn't it? Yeah, we're, we're either so being under God, that's right, brother, that's right, or we're sitting in church. Liars. Isn't that what the world says? Church is full of hypocrites. Come on, I like that bumper sticker that says no perfect people allowed. Hmm. Nothing accentuates our weakness more than when we sin. The book that came to mind as I began to think about that was Lamentations. I'll give you a moment to turn there. You'll find it right after Jeremiah. When you get to the first chapter, somebody say there. There. If you get all the way to Ezekiel, you went too far. Hang a left. In the first chapter of Lamentations. In Hebrew, this is ikah. It means how. (laughs) Not like an Indian, how. Like, how did we get here? I mean, it's it's an expression of pain like how did this happen how deserted lies the city once so full of people how like a widow is she who once was great among the nations she who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave bitterly she weeps at night tears are upon her cheeks 
among all her lovers. There is none to comfort her. Her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. Have you ever stepped out among a group of worldly people and you did the kind of thing that they all do and you were confident that you would find acceptance because you were now doing the things that they were doing only to find out they all turned on you and pointed at you? How could you do this? Have you ever been in a room and it was full of people but you felt absolutely alone? Come on, I'm not reading to you poetry here. I'm talking to you about the human condition. Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? No. Stand around and look and you are in a prison and you erected every bar in the cell. This is weakness, friends. Listen to how he says this. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed feast. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan, her maidens grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from the daughter of Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness, they have fled before the pursuer. In weakness, they have fled before the pursuer. You know, it's very possible for an ordinary man to stand in supernatural, extraordinary strength. These are the Bible stories we like to tell. We like to tell about David standing and facing Goliath. And his supernatural presence fills him in such a way that with a single stone he knocks down the giant and cuts off his head and carries it around like a trophy. These are the stories that we like to tell. But there was another moment in David's life, wasn't there? He found himself an ordinary mere man on a rooftop. He should have been at war and instead he was at leisure. Idle mind being the devil's workshop. We... We see these disparities in the scripture. Man capable of fresh water that brings life and capable of salt water that brings absolutely death. And yet the same man with two natures at work in him. There are no men, no women like that in this room, are there? Mm-hmm. Now we mostly preach and teach and encourage the spiritual life. We encourage all of those things that cause you to become strong. But it would be arrogance. It would be something that would be wrong if we didn't acknowledge what happens that makes us so weak at times. When we look at this word weakness, it's the first time it appears in the NIV text. And it's a really unusual phrase in Hebrew. In Hebrew, if you want to say yes, you say Ken, right? Like Ken and Barbie. (laughs) If you want to say no or not, you say low, right? And in this phrase, it's not actually weakness in Hebrew. What we have is we have low koa. It means no or not strength. Utterly without strength. But there are a lot of ways to say strength in Hebrew. Koa is the unusual part. Low shows up all over the Hebrew text. But koa is used in places like Micah 3.8. In Micah 3.8 it says, But as for me, I am filled with power, koa, and the Spirit of God, to declare to Jacob his unrighteousness. Koa is not just a physical strength. Koa has something to do with that supernatural power that is in you. 
When he said that Jerusalem was overrun, when he said that she was beat down, she was like a deer that found no pasture. She was in weakness pursued by her enemy. He's saying she had not that supernatural strength. She began to act like any regular weakling. What happens when those who are supposed to be princes, when those who are supposed to be deliverers, act like weaklings? Now, if you listen to the world, especially if you turn on the television on a Saturday morning, right? We have 15 and 30 minute shows, one right after another, and they have pictures like that, that next one, Joy. They got somebody like this. <laughs> says, yes, I turn weaklings into He-Man. <laughs> now, you learned last week that He-Man is a Hebrew word that means faithful, and he shows up in uh, Chronicles 15. He had a buddy named Asaph that meant assembler of the people. A third buddy named Jeduthun, like, like three men who together meant praising, assembling, faithful worship, and they were in charge of prophesying and delivering the Lord's music. This was what God wanted as an example for his people, but this is what the world offers. A man in women's pants... Yeah. <laughs> that is muscled up. This is Charles Atlas. He's one of the first. He, guys like him and Jack LaLanne and some of those guys that began bodybuilding said this is how to become strong. In our day, it might be all of our martial artists. It might be Chuck Norris or back in the 90s, Jean-Claude Van Damme, somebody else. And this is the way to become strong. Yet if you can break bricks with your forehead and cannot tell your flesh no, how strong are you? Come on. Come on now. If you can make other men bend to your will, but your own flesh's desire bends you and breaks your will every time, then how strong are you? It's an interesting thing to note that this was not God's desire for man. Turn with me to Isaiah 40. Tell me when you're there. Yeah. 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 Isaiah 40, verse 28. The first time I ever heard this, Miss Joellen was prophesying it in a home meeting. I had no idea it was Scripture. I just knew that my heart quivered inside me when I heard it. It let me know that there was hope. There is hope. It says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Does it say that they earned it? They lifted it? They ate it in protein bars? They mentally ascended to it? They so disciplined their will that they mastered it? It says He gives. Friends, strength from God is a gift. It is a gift. It's never obtained through effort. It's, it's never sought after and achieved because of, of your greatness. In fact, we find out it's bestowed upon those that are intimately acquainted with their weakness. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the already strong. He increases the power of the weak. You want to find out how to cut yourself off from the blessing of God? Consider yourself having all you already need. Amen. You want to find out how you get a harsh treatment from the Prince of Peace? Consider yourself already righteous, altogether lovely. Amen. Consider yourself all that, and He will consider you 
nothing. Yeah. But you begin to get into his presence and say, Lord, you died that I could have victory over this. And yet I'm falling short of that victory. And it's not your fault, it's mine. And I need your help. Amen. I need your help. And I'm willing to do anything. See, the American heart so often says, Lord, I'm falling short and I need your help. And I'm willing to do one of these three things, but I will not do item four or five. I'm willing to do anything except throw away my smartphone. I'm willing to do anything except break off that friendship. I'm willing to do anything except disassociate myself from worldly relatives. I'm willing to do anything except come apart and be separate from the world. I'm willing to do anything except... And so we stay weak and claim to be strong. The problem with this is that we have no power to rescue. We have no power to help those around us because we are laden with our own sin. We're still carrying Pilgrim's burden to the cross, not relieved of it ourselves because we will not die in the way the cross says, you must die. You ever wonder why all of the miracles are everywhere else these days? It's not because of media. It's not because of uh, the absence of wealth. Any of those things, it's because in other countries, so often they don't have a choice but to be acquainted with their own weakness, which is another way to say they're very great need. We've learned to say that we have it, but we live like we don't. We protect ourselves from it. We present strength at every turn. Our bumper stickers on our cars say no fear and there's never been a bigger lie. Our nation is so gripped with fear. You don't believe me? How many people do you know that think Islam is evil but would never say so out loud? It's wicked beyond belief, but you can't even get a preacher to say it from a pulpit. Amen. It is a devilish, enslaving thing that belittles women and hurts children and exalts flesh above the Spirit of God. Amen. It is an antichrist spirit that the book of Revelation specifically says denies the Son of God. First John says it too. But we don't even have the courage to call evil evil anymore. Now we call it things like choice. When did murder become a choice? Well, it's always been a choice. It's just that a long time ago it was identified as a wicked choice. Mm. It was called the way of Cain. It's called Balaam's error, Korah's rebellion. Now it's a political idea. Where is the church? It is wrought with weakness. It's wrought with weakness. Look at the indictment in Ezekiel 34. I know the way to build the church is to give you an encouraging message, right? We might meet in the compact center if we could just get our message right. I bet if I could get it down to 23 minutes, we could double our size right away. (laughs) Amen. No powdered sugar. Weakness is one of those crazy subjects you both learn to love your weakness, and I'll show you why later, and hate it. You know, there's only one other relationship I can think of like that, and I won't name it. I'll just let you think about it. Something that you love and want to strangle all at the same time. Talking about your dog, of course. Weenie, my dachshund. Ezekiel 34, verse 4. You have not strengthened the weak 
or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. This is an indictment against the shepherds in Israel. You've not done the kind of things that God would do. And the first on the list was you have not strengthened the weak. Look at verse 16. This is God speaking. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. It sounds like the weak find mercy, but the sleek and the strong, the self-sufficient, find judgment. Was it really so different in Jesus' ministry? Those who had outward holiness perfected, had the praise of the people, long flowing robes and tassels on their garments, seemed to not be able to find mercy from the king. But prostitutes and tax collectors who beat their chest, rent their garments, they found mercy from the king of kings. It sounds like the key to finding heavenly answer is knowing your earthly condition. Now you've heard me many times say that I don't believe we're just old sinners. Hear me, not just. Come on, I'm no longer just an old sinner. Amen. Now there's something else at work within me. Amen. When we're thinking of God's ability to rescue, look at that 20th verse. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Now, come on, all you uh, physically conscious people who really work to get your belt certain sizes and all of those things, don't misunderstand this. Our king has never cared about an outward appearance. He proved that with David. He proved it with so many people. He's saying, I'm going to judge between those who are self-sufficient and those who are impoverished in their spirit and knowing. Now I want you to notice something. He called them both sheep. They were both people of his flock. They were all Israel, but not all were acting like Israel. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all of the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. And what would be the judgment based on? Those who understood their need and their condition versus those who just fought to be right and show their righteousness. Mm. Am I the only one that that scares just a little bit? When I read that this morning, I had to stop and take a deep breath. I had to honestly ask the Lord, which one am I? Mm. Right? So often, Lord, you teach me what is right and you tell me to display that to everyone. They could get confused and think that because I can preach it that I'm living it. <laughs> I'm trying to live it with all of my heart. Amen, Z? Trying with everything that I have. We're made of the same earthly substance and our only hope as a supernatural infusion that makes us a new species. This is the difference between a dry religious creed and a praxis kind of faith-filled deeds. Hebrews 11 on Monday nights, we're teaching about immuna, the Hebrew kind of faith that has got to be made complete with an action. It's not even possible to say it and not be talking about walking with God rather than sitting still and believing God. How did your life do with that this week? Was it full of words or was it full of deeds that were prompted by faith and are being expressed in love? 
were you rescuing this week? Were you more concerned about everyone else than yourself this week? I found the strangest thing about religious people. We're all good until somebody steps on our idol. And then we cross our arms and say, I will not be pushed. I will not be moved. Not you, not God, not anybody else. And we fight to be weak rather than appear to be wrong. Isn't that sad? Wouldn't you much rather be broken by the Lord so you could be put together by the Lord? I pray that this message break our hearts so that we might find strength from the Lord. When we're talking about sheep, did Jesus ever talk about sheep? I mean, how many analogies in the Bible? Come on, Jorge. How many of them have to do with sheep and shepherds? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. How did Jesus say that you would know his sheep and his sheep would know him? He says it in John 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Which ones was he concerned for? Come on, back to Ezekiel 34. Which ones was he concerned for? The fat ones? The healthy ones? He was concerned for those that had a poverty inside of them. They had an absolute kind of deprived of strength, feeling. The Bible calls it broken and contrite. How do you get that way? Cass did a word study on broken and contrite one time. She found out it was deflated. It was all of your air, all of your energy, all of your dream had been wrung out of your life so that you could be filled with something else. The same song that says a broken song, a broken and contrite heart you won't despise, Psalm 51, also says create in me a clean heart, a brand new one, a good one, one that is not broken, one that is not defective, one that doesn't have a problem. We need a nature transplant. Amen. You don't just need that at salvation, friends. You need it all of the time. Mm -hmm. Am I the only one that since I started walking with the Lord found out that that old dead guy is tagging along with me? Sometimes he even pushes me out of the driver's seat and into the passenger seat and takes me on a ride I didn't want to go on. You look back and you go, how did I end up in this argument? Come on, there are no married people in this room? <laughs> you look back and go, I can't believe I even said that. What was I doing? Amen. Come on now. If we're being honest, if we're getting real in church, we're talking to everybody in the room at this point from 8 to 80. Everybody. Yeah. In fact, the people closest to you, they tend to see your weaknesses the most, don't they? <laughs> And sometimes you hate them for it. In fact, we like our church relationships at a distance. We like them that gets us as far away as the back row can be, right? As far away as it can be. It says, look, 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 I'm good. I believe the same thing you believe. I'll throw some change in the plate. My salvation is seated right here with you. And, and, and don't look any closer. Don't challenge me in any area. Don't point out my weakness. Don't give me an opportunity to get strong in the Lord. In fact, I'll be insulted if you insinuate that I'm not already perfect. But the whole time I'll admit, no, no, I'm not perfect. We all sin. And we're fine as long as we talk about we all sin. But when we talk about your sin, my sin, all of a sudden it hurts a little more. You start thinking, I bet I could go to that other church down the road. See, I didn't make it, Charlie. I'm getting better. I bet I, I bet I could go there and nobody would ever notice. 
I could feel good about myself. I could attend church and serve God. And what does serve God mean? It means agree with pretty much everything that's said. Don't do anything different. Just agree with it. And that'll be serving God. Because what God wants out of you is He wants your butt in a seat, your money in a plate, and a preacher to be happy with you. Right? And what will that get us in an eternity? Jesus said His sheep know His voice. Amen. Now let's get to the heart of the matter. Right? I'm sorry I took this long to get to the heart of a matter. I'm a bloated windbag sometimes. And I get impressed with all the things that I want to say. The heart of the matter is this. You want to be strong. You feel like you're hearing his voice. Isn't that a difficult subject? In the charismatic world, it's abused. It's abused. And then I heard the Lord, and then I heard the Lord, and then the Lord said, and then the Lord said, and I want to say, shut up. You're not that spirit. I know you. All right? I'm not sure you heard from the Lord once in 10 years, much less 10 times in this one minute. The Lord's not a windshield wiper. He didn't change his mind. He's not a leaf blown in the wind. He makes plans centuries in advance, not based on whether it's raining the day you were supposed to do what he said. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is crazy. Or we could go the other route, the other extreme, says God said everything he's ever going to say. It's right there printed in that book. So what's he say about electricity? You know, it's not that he mentioned in the book. I mean, it's absurd, right? And, and so we're struggling between these two kind of things. Either God speaks to us and we can't differentiate his thought from our thought, or he simply doesn't speak anymore unless it is, it is printed right there. Am I, the, am I the only one that has watched the tug-of-war, been in the tug-of-war? The easiest question on the planet ought to be, is this the devil or is this the Lord? But how many times have we sat there, pulled our hairs out of our head, trying to wonder because we were just weak and didn't know what to do? Yeah. yeah. The Lord's sheep know His voice. The kingdom is built upon something. It is not built upon a perfect doctrine. I know that that really crushes theologians. I spent a lot of my life trying to make sure my doctrine was perfect. I could perfectly debate. I don't know if I could perfectly live it. I win the argument, Keith, but at the end of the day, that didn't mean that I could live that argument. It's not based on theology, friends. It's based on hearing his voice and being obedient to it. The best conversation that illustrates it is who do men say that I am? And none of them knew. But it was revealed to Peter. And Jesus said, I can build my church on this. Amen. Because when you can hear from God, suddenly you have the opportunity to have a heavenly strength transplant. Yeah. Our weakness is displayed in our inability to get it right. But if we can hear Him tell us what to do, then we can walk in a way that is strong, a way that is firm. In Hebrew, the word immuna that means faith means strong, firm, steady. It describes a man who is not weeble-wobbling. He is not wavering. He is not swerving. Do you hear all of those things in the book of Hebrews? Mm -hmm. Let us unswervingly hold to the faith we profess. Or in the book of Romans, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. It has to do with strength displayed in your trust. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Are you hearing me today? We have to be able to hear his voice. But it's so hard, Jim, you know? Can't I just go and listen to what they tell me, he says? 
what if you just went and listened to what a doctor told other patients? Well, I got bad news, Natalie. You're about to get a prostate exam. <laughs> right? Bad, bad news, JJ. It's mammogram time for you. <laughs> Are you believing this? Yeah, I did. I said that in church. Are you believing this? Do we have one prescription for everyone? No. A preacher can no more give every person in this room what they need than a doctor could give a blanket prescription. Now, I know they try with antibiotics. It's about to backfire on us all, I promise. You know, Whatever ails you all, go home and take amoxicillin. It's not strong enough anymore. Go home and take Cipro. That's not strong enough anymore. What are we going to do in a post-antibiotic age, huh, Angie? Right? We see this every day. You get things like multi resistant staphylococcus from this. That sounds gross, doesn't it? I didn't know why that was funny, Angie. I'm sorry. I... You get a resistance to the gospel from it. And the reason you do is you're trying to apply everyone else's vision. You're trying to apply everyone else's word to your life, and it doesn't fit. And when it doesn't fit, you become just a little more hardened to God's actual voice. Are you hearing me? The thing that has damaged our nation more than any other is the pseudo-acceptance of the gospel without it showing up in our life. Everyone believes that we're okay. We've become the fat sheep. Are you hearing that? Yes. We've become the fat sheep. We're self-sufficient in every way. We don't need to hear the Lord's voice. We have a MasterCard to save us. We don't need to hear the Lord's voice. We can go to the doctor. We don't need to hear the Lord's voice. Our lawyer will deliver us. What are all of the reasons that we think of that we can't hear from God? I mean, as a pastor, you'd be amazed the number of times that Christians that have been around forever, I mean, they were here when Noah built his boat, say, Pastor, how do you hear from God? How can you found the kingdom on people hearing from God and have everyone in the kingdom not knowing how to hear from God? How does that work? You know, uh, another question that is similar is two people who are not in love will say, how do I know when I'm in love? Have you ever heard that one? Two young people, adolescents, how do I know? And what do you tell them? You just, you just know. How do I hear from God? Well, he didn't have a problem making himself known. We have a problem hearing, but he didn't have any problem making himself known. We're hard of hearing. So you have to tune in commands. You ever noticed that people that don't hear real well have to pay extra close attention to your mouth when it moves? Why is that? They're using all of their sensory, sensory perception for one thing, to try to understand. But we want to hear from God while we're not looking at Him, while we're not thinking about Him, while we're off doing our own thing and He's over here saying, come to me. And we want to hear from God. The biggest reason, I would list three. Right, But I don't like when preachers make lists, so this is not a list of three. It just happens to be three things I'm speaking about. <laughs> we get busy with our own agenda, our entertainment, an insatiable desire to feed the flesh. I've noticed something in my own life. This year I took the TV off the wall. I told you that. This year we said, just for me, nobody else in my household, no movies, right? As soon as I did that, I found things that I didn't know existed, right? 
I found Pinterest on, on the internet. Now, I would no more look at what ladies posted on a cork board than a man on the moon six months ago. But now, because my flesh is starved for entertainment, which is a substitute for hearing from God, I'm all of a sudden curious about baking recipes. <laughs> it, it is hilarious, except it's very sad, isn't it? I have never been the one that sits down and reads the newspapers and stuff, but now since I'm not watching TV, all of a sudden I'm staring at a Bible, or I could pick up an iPad and read Fox News. And, and guess what? There's a tug of war going on in me. It doesn't matter what you deprive your flesh of. It has an insatiable desire to do anything other than what God wants it to. Friends, that's a weakness. It's a weakness because it distracts us constantly. And we think that it is okay. In fact, we live in a land of distraction. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says this, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You want to know whether or not you are mastered? Can you set it down without penalty inwardly? Go on. Have you ever met a man who was drunk but said he wasn't? Am I the only one? I lived with that guy for years, right? Hey, give me the keys. I'm not drunk. <laughs> yeah, obviously, you know. Stop smoking. You're about to start a fire, you know. We never understand our own state. Come on now. We're in a place where things have mastered us all around, and we call it liberty, we call it freedom, and what it's really doing is competing with God's voice in our life. Did you know that one of God's names is jealous? Now that, that's going to strike some of you as, ah, oh, jealousy is a bad thing, isn't it? We usually are told that jealousy is bad. Well, the word for jealousy in this case is Konau. K-A-Y-N-A-W is a phonetic spelling, Konau. It's used six times in the Hebrew Scripture. Five verses, six times. And every time it is an adjective that describes one and only person, God. Turn with me to Exodus 34. I want to show you one of those times. In Exodus 34, starting in verse 10, say there when you're there. Yahweh Canal. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all the people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. Isn't that what you want in your life? I mean, isn't that what you want in your community of faith? Isn't that what you want to follow you? Wonders that have never before been witnessed? I mean, when we pray, do we pray, Lord, do something mediocre among us? Lord God, do something barely noticed. Holy One, if you could just use me in some way that doesn't matter in eternity, I would appreciate that. That's not how we pray, is it? No. No, when we pray, we lay claim to the heavens. We say... Lord, raise the dead, open the blind eyes, mighty God, send us to the nations. We have all of those kind of desires. He's going to tell us how to get that kind of strength in our lives. Then the Lord said, I am making a new covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. God intended that His people would live surrounded by a people. 
not out of the world, not taken away from the world, not sequestered in some little spiritual safety deposit box. He intended that you would be in the midst of worldly people, but they would see something at work within you. Amen. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty. Come on now. No compromise. I was talking with a brother who is thinking of authoring a book about idolatry. There's never been a book that could be more needed than now. How many of you, when you think of an idol, can't help but think of something Indiana Jones found in a cave? I mean, some kind of stone thing. Listen to this. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going or they will become a snare among you. Break down their altars. Smash their sacred stones. That doesn't sound very tolerant. And cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god for the Lord whose name is Jealous. Yahweh Canal is a jealous god. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Look at verse 17. Do not make cast idols. Well, what were verses 10 through 16? It was idolatry that it doesn't have a cast idol. It was idolatry that is simply living in a way that is not obedient to God's voice. It's a kind of idolatry that God hates and He says He is jealous for you and it simply has to do with how you relate to the worldly things that are around you. Do you hate them and try to destroy the devil's work or do you love them and participate freely in it? Are you hearing that? God, it got quiet in here, didn't it? Mm -hmm. The Spirit of God will show us right where our weaknesses are. He'll do it every time. I already told you, I can't starve my flesh enough to make it go away. It simply keeps looking for new avenues. But as many Asherah poles as it can find, as many sacred stones as it can find, I want to smash. I want to smash because I don't want him to have to compete for my love. I want to offer it to him. Come on, is he competing for your love today? Why are we weak? Well, because we're so distant from him so much of the time. Let me ask you, when the presence of God settles in here, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I wish it was every time, but there are times it is just undeniable. And it's, the Hebrews call it kavod. It's, it's almost tangible. Do you have a problem in that moment? You really don't. Everything kind of goes. Is your flesh dominating your thoughts in that? No, you really, you really don't. Things you struggle with out there in that moment, you're not struggling with in any way here. What's the is, is it these four sheetrock walls are holding? No, probably not. If the sheetrockers who put up these walls are like most of the sheetrockers that are working in Houston, they were probably smoking weed when they put them up. <laughs> I doubt seriously that it's our walls that are holding. Something changed in the attitude of our heart in that moment. Maybe for the first time all week, we drive out every other thought. 
And we simply want to hear his voice. And he responds to that. Yeah. And the result for us is power over sin. Now we know this. We know it. We've heard it preached. We've heard it preached. We've heard it preached. But at some point, don't we have to look back at the last seven days and say, did I do it? Or did I persist in going my own way? Do you hear me? I'm going to tell you every time that this pastor blows it in a big way. Every time. It can be traced to exactly the same thing. I didn't get in the presence of God and receive from Him what He so freely offers me. I decided that my own way was better. So often that is a price you don't want to pay that choice. Yeah. Come on, am I the only one that's paid that price? Sometimes you just can't unbreak a relationship. <laughs> Sometimes you can't go back and reel back in those words. Sometimes we cannot undo the price of that. But we can avoid it 100% of the time. Jesus died that you would have access to his voice. I would say if we would begin to remove our past idols. Hebrews 10 says it this way. It's the 19th verse. You don't have to turn there. I'm not lying to you today. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. This means that in any moment, not based on your righteousness, based on a total reliance on Him, broken in your own self, knowing that you do not have the answer to whatever giant you are facing, if we can stop and say, I have access to you now. Lord, I need to hear from you. you. It is possible. It's possible because He says it's possible. If we got rid of the competing voices, do you think we might be able to hear Him? Yes. How many of you, when you wanted to hear from God, isolated yourself? I mean, <laughs> you wanted to hear from God, so the first thing you did was you stopped answering your phone. Well, what did that mean about all the rest of the time? You wanted to hear from God, so the first thing you did was turn off the TV this week. I'm fasting, you know. Well, what did that mean about all the rest of the time? Well, I really needed a job. I really needed that house. I really needed to know what to do in this relationship. So I just set everything aside and said, Lord, I need to hear from you. Well, what about all the rest of the time? Where was God? Does that mean he was behind the house, behind the job, behind the relationship, at the bottom of the list? See, for us, Jesus is not everything, if we're honest. What Jesus is, is one good thing among many. We have added him to our idols, except we don't call them idols. We call them our priorities. We call them the things that we must do during the day. And what must we do during the day? We have to text 5,000 times. We have to update our Facebook page 50,000 times and spew out to the world the nastiness that is going on in your own mind. And leave digital proof that can be faxed all over the world. You know how I know about all that? I'm all too eager to participate in it. It's almost like I was hardwired to want everything that is wrong on the planet. You know? If there's good sitting right there in that book, and it requires no more effort than something that you teach a second grader. What grade do we read? A kindergartner in Texas, a second grader in Louisiana. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. 
takes no more effort than a second grader needs. We begin to look at the words. The words begin to come off of that page and translate a meaning into our mind. And as we begin to think on that, whatever is excellent, praiseworthy, if anything is praiseworthy, if we think on those things, all of a sudden we begin to tune the dial of our heart into being able to hear from Him. Well, when do we do that? We do it when we're in prison. We do it when we have a crushing financial debt. We do it when we're in crisis. Why do you think you're in the crisis? It's like deciding to steer when you're in the ditch. Are you hearing me? It's like deciding to steer when your car is parked in the ditch. Where you at, Dustin? I thought you could relate to that. I saw a neon that looked like a gravestone. It was planted in the dirt with its back tires in the air. Steering while you're already in the ditch. Our own auto-thinking sometimes simply will not allow us to receive a fresh word from God. Amen. It's because we're relying on something that we've already said is flawed and weak. But it's, it's right there with us, you know. It's, it's what we have. We, we have this list of things that God would and wouldn't do. We have these, I mean, God would never want me to have my babies in a foreign country, I heard a woman close to me say. <laughs> God would never make us move to such and such place, right? God would never do this. God would never. So we can't hear from God. If we do get undistracted from everything else, we could never hear about this because we've properly identified the golden calf we're going to protect. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how our own thoughts betray us, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So we've eliminated all distraction. We're ready to hear from God, but now we've set these areas as exclusionary. This is not part of the negotiation of God. See, you understand that I work for you and you're my employer and we have a collective bargaining agreement going on, right? No, that's not how it works with God. Yet when we call Him Lord, it makes Him Master. You know what that makes us? His servants. So do we have the right to have exclusionary agreements with God? We have the right to say, you know, I know the kind of thing you would and wouldn't do, Lord, and, you know, I mean, you'd never tell me to do that. That would, you know, threaten my cable television. God knows you want me to see every one of those football games. In Genesis 8.21, it says it this way, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. How much can you trust what's rolling around in your heart if God says every inclination of the human heart from childhood is evil? Jeremiah said the same thing. He said, it's wicked beyond cure. Isaiah, in the 58th chapter, verse 8 and 9, maybe 55th chapter, one of you Bible scholars, I have to check it. It says, as the heavens are higher than the earth. 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so is my word higher than yours. He goes on to say, his word won't return no, watering the earth. He likes the rain watering the earth and crops. Suffice it to say, you do not know before you ask him what he will do. Is that fair enough? If you did know, you wouldn't need to ask him. Doesn't that seem pretty basic? We cannot hear from God with everything competing with his voice. We can't hear from God deciding what he would and wouldn't do up front. You know, the most difficult thing for me 
Those who are close to me in ministry will see this all of the time. In fact, it's one of the reasons God put them close to me. If I say we are going somewhere, if I say we are going to do something, and maybe I wasn't right, that doesn't matter as much to me as doing what I said. That's sad. But I'm just, I'm telling you, that is a weakness in this pastor. What's strange is the world thinks it's a strength. He's determined. Oh, it's stubborn. It's stubborn. So I put people close to me that would never stand their ground and say, you are wrong unless I was wrong. They're not trying to get in God's way. They're only trying to get in my way if I'm wrong. We need to be very careful that our auto-thinking about God does not rule out what He's trying to tell us. How many times in His Word does He say, I'm going to do a new thing among you, something that if I told you, you wouldn't believe? He says that kind of thing all of the time. So distraction is a problem. Whole careers are based on distracting you. Do you realize that? Do you know how much money is spent to get your attention while you drive down Highway 59? Yes. You know how much money is being spent? When I was in the car business, it cost us $400 to get one person to walk on the lot. Not to buy. Just to walk onto the lot. When we divided our advertisement by the number of people that came on, that's what it was. $400 a person just to get them to show up. And you know how many businesses were on that road competing for the very same person to show up? Whole careers are based on distracting you. Trying to get you to make a decision now that of course will have long-term consequences. All of those happy hour signs, they don't tell you what it's going to be like six hours afterwards, do they? They tell you it's a happy hour. Drinks are free. You know? Have you noticed, girls, they use you as the bait? The girls can drink free if you come. Or at half price or whatever else because it's a happy hour, right? Well, what is it eight hours later? Is it a morning after pill? Just a choice? What is it? Is it human life? What is it? And these things have consequences to them. That's not the only reason that we often don't hear from God, though. We often don't hear from God because as Christians, we're simply paralyzed in fear that we might get it wrong. Yeah? You ever stood at a door with somebody? Stand up, Gabe. No, after you. No, after you. No, 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 after you. And we're like those two little birds. Nobody's going to go through this door. Because, I mean, we need to be so humble. We need to be so gracious that we're impotent and incapable of making any decision. Now, we would never say it that way. But when we pray incessantly about something that the Word declares... Well, I'm seeking God to see whether I should be baptized. How long have you been seeking God about that, brother? Oh, about 15 years. Mm-hmm. I'm seeking God about His will for me and in going into the world for the gospel. How long have you been doing that? All my Christian life. Mm-hmm. You know? We're called to be whatever. Really, how long have you known about that calling? A good two decades now. You know, we are paralyzed for fear that we might do something wrong. Have you ever read the separation of the sheep and goats? In Matthew 25, you find it. They're separated, and it's not not based on trying and getting it wrong. Do you realize that? Nobody in the separation between sheep and goats is rebuked for having tried and not doing it right. Some tried, and they were declared sheep. Others failed to try. They were declared goats. You know what paralyzed and indecision will get you? A goat status. 
you're pretty well satisfied with your life as it was. No need to move in any direction for God. Just tell everybody you're praying about it. And this will assuage your critics, especially if you throw a Jesus name in there somewhere. It'll assuage all your critics. He becomes a footnote to satisfy your critics. But in reality, in 10 years in your life, there's been no movement. We're still praying about it. Can you show me a biblical example of that anywhere? I can't find it. People that prayed about things in the Word for decades, they were praying that God would bring about something that was simply not possible for them to step out and do. You know, give us a baby. Those kind of things. They were not praying about going to witness to their neighbor while their, witness, while their neighbor was standing in front of them. Are you hearing that? Amen. I understand. We don't want to get it wrong. Have you ever considered that inaction is getting it wrong? I'm saying that your Lord, He rewards someone who walks after Him, who seeks after Him. Seeking after Him is not sitting on your hand saying that you're praying about it. Seeking after Him is trying to do something for Him and being willing to change tactics at any moment, but doing something. Come on, who in here can quote Romans 8 and 28? We teach our kids to do it. Come on, somebody do it, Dustin. In all things, God works together for the good of those that love Him. In how many things? Those things that you get perfect. Those things that you um, got precisely right. He uses everything in your life to work according to a purpose. Guess what that means? You're going to have to be daring enough to make a mistake occasionally. Yeah. It's a bigger weakness to do nothing than it is to try and fail. Our strength is that we can hear from God. Our strength is that you don't have... By the way, if your pastor's told you, if every elder in the church has told you, if everybody you seek godly counsel from tells you the same thing and you refuse to do it, you know what that's called? Anybody know what it's called? Sin. Sin. And then when you sit back and you have to eat a big sin sandwich, like nothing is going the way you thought it would, and you say, well, I'm praying about it, well, you could do that, or you could go back and do the thing that you were told to do a year ago. How stubborn are we sometimes? How stubborn am I sometimes? I'm going to confess to you that there's rarely a sin that I fall to that I didn't know was sin before I did it. Yeah, I know I'm alone in the room with that one. It's not that I didn't know it was sin. If I'm downright honest, it's because in the moment... I loved that sin more than I loved Jesus. Mm-hmm. But moments add up, friends. They add up moments become hours, and hours become days, and days become years. It happens. We need to be very careful that we're hearing from God. It is our strength. Romans 8 says this. Turn with me to Romans 8. We're going to get back on track and then move through the end of the message. Are y'all done already? No. It seems like every time that clock gets close to 12, there's a lull. You know? And I mean, I recognize it. And it's a place that we could close. But I'm not satisfied with closing on this note. Do you simply want to hear that there are reasons that you don't hear from God? I mean, is, is that what we came to church for? No. To hear that you're weak and there's reasons that you don't hear from God? Let's be honest. You knew that before you came, didn't you? Did we often go to church cast just to hear what we already know, but in some new way? I mean, that, that really is sad, huh? Surely the church of the living God could give us more than that. Brother Michael didn't get until 4.30 this morning. 
He, he, he had to travel from another state to get here. Obstacle after obstacle. But he got here. That's worth something, isn't it? Yeah. We, we may not have 100% of all that is Mike right now. But we have 100% of what he can give us. Yeah. You know, He's fighting back there. But he's there. Maybe it'd be more wise and prudent just to go get some sleep. But at the end of the day, doesn't that form habits? Don't you get used to just kind of selling out Jesus for whatever you think you need? How many of you does that define your life? Selling out Jesus for whatever you think you need. I think if we're honest, that has a bigger role in our lives than we want it to have. Are you in Romans 8? Yes, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you love how the gospel acknowledges the weakness, but figures God is bigger? The gospel never says you don't have weakness. It's not hyper-prosperity, hyper-faith. He says in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. In the midst of our very great need, in the midst of our admitted weakness, there is a counselor at work inside of us. This is the great advantage of the Christian above and beyond any other person. The Holy Spirit in you can speak to you. Sometimes this shows up as an inner witness. Sometimes it's a thought that interrupts your thought. Sometimes, as that scripture says, it's groanings that no word could express. Come on, charismatic brothers, where are you at? We have a weakness, but the Holy Ghost moves right down in the center of that weakness and begins to provide help. We get nowhere with God not admitting that we have a weakness. We get everywhere with Him allowing His Spirit to minister to us in the admitted weakness. Look at 1 Corinthians. It'll be the second chapter. Tell me when you get to the third verse. Do you see that that advertisement on the screen says, let me make you into a new man? Do you know where he is now? Don't answer that in the very finite sense. He's dead. I don't know where he is, but he's dead. Is he a new man? He's food for worms, friends. That's all that advertisement could ever offer you. It's something that's decayed. That's all that. The strength of this world is not strength at all. It's really not. It's esteem of your peers for a short time period until they find out you're exactly like them. Flawed. But when the Holy Ghost begins to move in you to create a new man that is a real new man, all of a sudden the world sees hope in it. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3. I came to you in weakness and fear. Is that the uh, triumph uh, apostolic message? Is, is this the get the victory Holy Ghost seminar? Is, is this today's prophetic word? I came to you in weakness and fear. When do we ever hear people even talk like this? I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Do you take that as false humility? Most of the time people read this, they take this as false humility. Like, of course, his message was dynamic. He's Paul. You see the way that he wrote. He felt like when he showed up there, he was cloaked in all human frailty. But he saw it as something else. My preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on power. It seems that the more frail you are, when God does something through you, the difference between what you accomplish in His name and what you were capable of in your weakness provides the space for people to glorify God. Come on. This is why you love big testimonies. Anybody in here encouraged when you heard that uh, our brother Curtis was healed of sickle cell anemia? Yeah. What did he say? He was 39 years old and dramatically healed. Now, that is a fantastic testimony. But if you found out that Curtis, in his 38th year and first month, contracted sickle cell, I know it doesn't work that way, but bear with me. And then a week later, he was healed. Is that as big a testimony? See, the greater that weakness, the greater the disparity, the greater that it involved his ability to not change it, to not fix it. It's like the paralytic that was there 38 years in the book of John in the fifth chapter. When that miracle comes through, nobody can say it was through his great strength. It was through his wisdom. It was through his business acumen. Have you ever wondered why he's the God of the last hour? This is why. This is exactly why. In fact, Paul says it a little different way in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there. It's the fourth chapter and seventh verse. He said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In other words, God put what is perfect in something that is imperfect precisely for the purpose of showing us the difference between the two. When God filled you with His power, did it show you the difference between the two or did we just walk away feeling empowered? See, here, here is an important message. We get filled with the righteousness of, of God. Your conscience is alleviated. You're excited about being in contact with Him. Did you forget how you got there and your inability to get there before? You know when it shows up? It shows up the first time somebody around you sins, right? You've got a spouse won't do what they should do, right? And what do you think? God, bend their will. Mighty God, get to them. Change them. You, you got a church member who is uh, being rebellious in some way. You're thinking, Lord, get after them, right? And you forget that that is exactly where you were standing the moment before he provided the strength for you to do anything different. Is this what they need? Do, do they need God to get them? Or do they need to recognize their weakness so God can them. See, this is a different heart. One forgets where we came from and says, but I'm empowered now. The other says, I feel power in me, but I know what else is also there. Amen. Mercy is the currency of the kingdom. This is why the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Your trust in the Lord causes you to walk rightly, but your weakness causes you to look and go, I could never do it without Him helping me take each step. And sometimes I don't step when He says to step. Preachers are scared that if we talk like this, everybody will use it as an excuse to sin. Even pastor said he sinned, so I'm taking today off. Right. It's not pastor you have to account to, or elders, or the person on your left or right, although you're accountable to all of those people. It's Jesus. Can you say that you're hearing from him, friends? This is what the kingdom is built upon. Hearing from him. We have just a couple more scriptures, and I promise we won't waste them. This is 2 Corinthians 12. Some of you, it's very familiar, and I get that. Still, let it sink in. Let it marinate in your 
part. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Which sheep were his? The weak ones. Which sheep heard his voice? The weak ones. Is that just because they needed to? Maybe it's because they were weak. They were able to. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe he didn't just speak to the weak ones. Maybe he spoke to everyone, but the weak ones knew he was talking to them. Yeah. Come on, friends. I feel like that went over your heads. How many of you hear the same message? It breaks one heart and leaves the other untouched. See, the weak ones know what they need because they know what they don't have. It is an enemy of the gospel to be self-sufficient. And the man standing behind this pulpit is among the most self-sufficient you've ever met. But it is an enemy of the gospel to be self-sufficient because the gospel builds community. The gospel is all about being totally dependent upon him and independent from none of your brothers. Am I my brother's keeper? The first murderer asked. Are you hearing me? In fact... Self-sufficiency is really being a fat sheep. You've heard all kinds of descriptions, but you might never have been called a fat sheep. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The situation the apostle is in is other men are bragging about their strengths. What would you be tempted to do? If I tell Renan or Matthew or, or Jorge, yeah, I one time met somebody like you and I beat him like a dog, you know? Especially poor Renan, he's in martial arts where you're graded by these things. There's a compulsion that begins to rise. You can't do that to me. Right? If somebody says, yeah, these three points made me successful in business, right? The natural result from a human being is to go, well, my business is doing pretty well too, Spence. Yeah. It's those people who are intimately familiar with where they lack. And it's not an area or two. It's a host of areas that receive continual strengthening from God because they know they need it. You know, if we were just honest, if we had to get somebody to pray for you while you were sick, you might call your pastor and praise God, I appreciate that. But Mario Salinas in Mexico probably seen more healings than I'll ever see in my life. Raja in Israel, Raja Israel in India, probably seen more healings than I'll ever see in my life. You know why? They know that if God doesn't do it, there's no choice, there's no help, there's nothing. For They're completely impoverished in and of themselves. When is the last time we ever felt that way? We don't allow ourselves to feel that way. Our lives are built on security and the projection of strength. We're Americans. Our vehicles are bigger. Our bank accounts are bigger. Uh, our people are bigger. We're worse than Americans. We're Texans. <laughs> Those of you that don't think you're Texans yet, you are. You just don't know it. It's the epitome of self-sufficiency. When we whipped the whole world in World War II, we came back with it, and it's grown ever since. But I see huge differences between this generation and the World War II generation. Mm -hmm. While they might have had some reason to place confidence in the flesh, I'm not sure we do anymore.
Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. You know, a King Eric translation of that would be, I delight in being humiliated because this gives Christ a chance to shine his power through me. When could we say we delight in humiliation? We do everything we can to hide any weakness that we have. We never admit it. No. We do marriage counseling a lot in this ministry, and it's just funny. You, know? you ask people to make a list of negative traits about them, about themselves, right? Not about their spouse. They can all do that. About themselves. <laughs> and you get this thing that it's like, well, you know, sometimes, you know, Mr. Fred, if I woke up late, and if I didn't get to eat enough, if, if I wasn't properly nourished, if I was aggravated from the phone, everything else, I can sometimes say unkind things. <laughs> and you look right at me and you say, oh, you have a foul mouth. You know, it's hilarious. We don't like to present weakness. You bring an interview to a screeching halt, uh, Brent, just by asking somebody, I see on your resume all the things that you do well. Uh, tell me about some things you don't feel like you do well. You know, you're crickets. It's the last thing anybody wants to talk about. But who does Christ's power rest on? Those that could talk about those things freely. Yeah. Hebrews 4.15 says this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. You have somebody that felt all of the things that you feel. That's an amazing thing, but he never, never walked in those weaknesses. He felt every pulling that you feel. You know, said, so, well, he never felt Pinterest, Cass. <laughs> he never felt Pinterest. He didn't know what that was like, or the craving for that ninth trip to the buffet. He never felt that. He felt every desire that a flesh could feel. And he said, no. They're all the same flesh. I mean, if, if, if I cut off Pinterest from my life, it'll show up in somewhere else. If I cut off something else, it'll show up from somewhere else. That's just the nature of it. That makes us weak. But when we take the time to hear what he wants us to do and we do it, that displays his strength in us. There is an entire chapter in the Bible committed to people who knew that they did not have the power to do what they should do. They knew it. They called upon Him. And at a key moment in their life, they heard His voice. And when they heard His voice, they were obedient. That list starts with a man like Enoch. It goes to a man like Noah. Did Noah hear from God? Did he have the ability to do what he was been? I mean, who wants to build a boat for 120 years, see everybody in the world except seven of his family members die? Yeah. But they heard from God, knew they were utterly bankrupt unless he helped them, and then worked at it anyway, believing he would help them. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. There. There. This is our last scripture today, so it would be very kind to this weary pastor if all of you were there. 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 Sometimes, what you cannot get with your aptitude, you cannot get with your talent, you can get just with persistence. God, sure, I mean, if you were to write a children's novel, it'd be about that little train that could. 
My wife threw up all morning. She woke up in the middle of the night throwing up. She texted this morning and said, I am throwing up and Abby has a fever. I expected the rest of that text to be, so I'll have to see you after church. I said, pray for me because I'm getting ready to come anyway. Mm-hmm. It's easy to admire people like that, isn't it? She cared more about what you needed from her today than what her flesh said it needed. Did you enjoy worship? Yeah. Everything that is good in your life comes on the back of someone else's sacrifice. Who is waiting for something good in their life on the back of your sacrifice? Yeah. Who's waiting? We're about to read about men who sacrificed all that you might have something good. They didn't always understand it, but they were doing it. Hebrews 11, let's just pick up in 32. And what more shall we say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon. Face down armies. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms. What one man can conquer a kingdom by himself? It's never going to happen. But these men trusted what they heard from God and they heard from God because they needed to. And they stuck to what God said. Through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength. You would think that the Hebrews' faith hall of fame would be about men who were strong. It is about men who were weak and needed to hear from God. And God met them in that weakness and filled them with such strength that their lives display the difference between man's weakness and God's strength. And it teaches us to trust Him. These are heroes. They're not heroes because they won a battle. They're heroes because they went into a battle they couldn't win, believing that God would win it for them. They're heroes because they trusted Him more than themselves. And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings while still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute. Doesn't that speak of weakness? Destitute? I mean, there are a lot of words we could use to describe people in this room. Handsome, pretty, from a world standard, wealthy, meaning from a global standard. Capable, strong, smart. How many of you want the title destitute? But that's what it took to get in this chapter. Destitute. Because when somebody was destitute, you didn't have any problem seeing God's power at work in them. We get destitute, but it's usually from the consequence of our own bad choice after bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. Then we blame it on God and say, He did this to us. These men were destitute because they chose to follow God, not because they refused to and reached judgment. Destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. You remember when God told the Israelites to go into Canaan? He said, don't you make a treaty with these people? Don't marry their sons and daughters. 
don't eat their food and their sacrament, don't compromise. These men didn't compromise, and so the world was not worthy of men like them. Curtis taught us that we were a new species. What a great question. Is the world worthy of you? Do you fit right into it? Do you love what it loves? Are you at war with it? Because the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity towards God. That's a verse that probably everybody can quote. But when is the last time you looked into your life and asked, Lord, where are my idols? And didn't rule out through distraction and answer. You didn't have auto thinking about what you already knew was not what he was not going to say. You weren't so paralyzed with fear that you wouldn't do something about it. You recognized that it was a weakness that God could turn into a strength if you give it over to him. We come to the altar all of the time. Somebody in this church sent me an email. Said, I have the strongest suspicion that, and she mentioned herself first, we keep coming to the altar and repenting because we will not take a single action to do something different. I feel like the Lord's mercy has been upon us, but judgment is inevitable if we don't do something different. I can't remember the last time I got a word that I agreed with so much. You know the characteristics of a word that someone heard from God? It applied to them first and everybody else second. It was sacrificial, not self-exalting. And the end result would be righteousness for everybody. Those are good characteristics of a word that you heard from God. You come to me and tell me that you heard from God, everybody else needs to repent. I'm going to ask you which God. Because God deals with the individual and shows them their bankruptcy first. You show me any prophet and I'll show you the way in which he humbled and broke that prophet so that they would know how badly they needed him. I don't want to be humbled and I don't want to be broken, but I do want to be used and it is required. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. When did these men who risked all get the perfection that was promised them? When did these men who the world was not worthy of them get to see the culmination of their faith? When you stand up and join them. That's when. That's a heavy task, isn't it? That's why there are examples. Are you strong because you hear from God or are you strong because you don't need to? See, that's the choice. Either you're strong because you recognize how badly you need to hear from God and you do, or you simply think you're strong and don't need to. You pretty well got it all figured out already. I'm telling you, this pastor this week was intimately aware of my weakness. I find myself praying one thing more than any other. Lord, you've assembled something that is beautiful. I feel like I've had a chance to go back and redo the year 1999 again. I'm saying, dear God, please, please don't let me mess this up. You know me, and if it's left simply to me, this will fracture, and it won't accomplish what it's supposed to. But if you could speak to me and show me what to do, you could show me how to reach so-and-so, you could show me how to show mercy to so-and-so, if you could show me what to do, 
and it will accomplish all that you ever wanted it to. And Lord, if you leave me by myself, it won't work. I need you. Amen. That is the prayer of a broken man that can be filled with power. Stand to your feet.